I was the nerdiest kid with the synopsis. Like, the Oregon hunting synopsis came out, and I would read that cover to cover. Like, that's how much of a nerd I was. Everyone wants to go build the attic before they pour the foundation, and it's like, you have to have these, like, lots and lots of experiences. You have to screw up. You're not going to go in there and be a great elk hunter right out the gate. Stop hunting Washington. (laughs) Like... You're trying to become a pro NASCAR driver with, like, a moped. First number one plan is go as hard and fast as you can until you find some elk to actually hunt. And then we can slow it down. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich with the Rich Outdoors Podcast, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com All right, y'all, so getting on to today's episode... Y'all, he is back since I think we recorded. Yours was one of the very last episodes I released right before my first hunt. It was it was like the the thoughts to remember when you're on your way to oh, Elk yeah, Camp that's right, that's podcast. Right, right. Where yeah. we did it was it was like my first Q and A podcast too. I had people submit questions and all that stuff. And nice. but yeah, man, it's been a while since we what chatted. What episode are you on now? Uh, this will probably be like 187. And so, and, but then, you know, I got a handful of bonus episodes. I've got all those conservation episodes, which I need to do those again. Those were huge. And then life got in the way and I'm like scrambling to barely release one a week. Yeah. So do you, are you, um, finding it easier or harder at this point to like keep producing episodes once a week, all that stuff? Um, it's honestly, I feel like it's easier uh, to produce better quality episodes easier, but I've stepped up the quality. So like the level of difficulty is kind of, for sure, kind of balanced out. And I mean, and I've got a team, you know, I run my marketing agency, so I've got a team now and when they're not working on client stuff, I make them do your stuff, do my, do my bitch work on the podcast. Yeah. And I know Josh is listening to this. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, they do a fantastic job helping me out and, um, uh, 
I still, I still take on a lot of the podcast myself. You know, I, I edit all the covers and that's one thing that I need to learn to let go of. <laughs> is, oh, but that's, that's also, there's, I mean, there's probably, I'm sure stuff you work on specifically on the podcast that you enjoy because it's still your baby and your passion. I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but there are a lot of things that I do. We actually have this conversation um, in, I guess, you know, in January or this month uh, about how there are things I should probably let go of um, and start stop working on, I should say. Uh, just, it's like the, not the minutia I would say, but like, just there's like things like you to be scalable. It's like, okay, I need to yeah. take some of the things off my plate. Just like, as you get busier, like there's so many things on your plate and then January is a good time for me to reevaluate. Like, okay, am I, am I making the most of my time? Am I doing, you know, what's the 80, 20 mm-hmm. always big on that. Well, and my whole thing is, is okay, I, I love editing the covers. I'm very specific how I like them done. And, yeah. But that's also something I can give someone feedback for. This is not yeah. like high-level design work here. It's yeah. cropping out pictures <laughs> uh, and updating text. And it's like, okay, is my time best spent doing that? Or if I can release an extra episode a week or yeah. reach out to people or or actually research a research a potential guest before I start talking to them. Yeah. That might be amazing to do for, <laughs> I think I've done that what three times in the entirety of my podcast. That's funny. Um, yeah, I'm pretty bad about that, but also I feel like the more, uh, the more background I have on a cast, the, the more scripted the podcast sounds like if I go into one, just kind of riffing with a couple broad ideas, I do better than if I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. here's exactly what the layout's going to look like and how we're going to, like, I used to do that. I used to have like, here's all the questions and like, this would be a great interview. And then it would just like, it wouldn't, it would just sound scripted. You it know, feels, and I listen yeah. to podcasts like that all the time where I'm like, oh man, this just sounds like they had a list of questions. And I, and I never want to get there, but it's, there is, it is nice to have some background on, on, and honestly, most of the people I interview, I've been following for a while. I know who they are. And and so I do know them. And I, I guess I don't give myself enough credit that way. But then, then I listen to like, you know, we both know Brad Luttrell and he, (laughs) that dude will like call your third grade teacher to get background. I feel like background info on you. It's so funny. He's so organized. He's like, He's, we scheduled a podcast. It was like three months out. I'm like, dude, I don't. He's like, hey, does this date work for you? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, who plans three months ahead? You're like, hey, do you have time for a meeting? Like, we'll schedule a meeting because we talk quite a bit because we're we both sit on the board for Isma Doors, and so we'll schedule a meeting. It'll be like a month and a half out. He's like, hey, does does two o'clock on the thirteenth work for you? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to plan this week, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, so I just realized I never actually introduced you. So I guess oh, okay. if, if you guys weren't paying attention in the intro um, and you don't recognize this this manly, <laughs> beautiful voice. I hate my voice. <laughs> how, many, how many episodes was it before you could actually listen to a podcast? I still can't. It's just, I still can't do it. I feel like I say I'm like such an idiot. And every like, I'm like, my laugh is weird. And yeah. I say weird things. I can't do it. Um, one of my friends was in to do a podcast. Uh, Shannon, she she works over here, and uh, she's like, she turned on the podcast. I was like, I don't want to listen. Like, no, don't. I don't want to listen to my own <laughs> voice. Like, I don't want to. No, I still can't do it. So, yeah. Anyway, we're uh, yeah. I run a podcast. We're five hundred plus some ish deep uh, in episodes, which is really not even. It's probably a heck of a lot more. There's so many that aren't numbered or titled or whatever. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've been doing it a while. And, and I, I will say, uh, you were one of the first podcasts I started listening to. And 
were a big inspiration for me starting this. And um, I remember back in the day, like, I mean, when I first, first started, uh, you know, I posted up, it was just like a little Instagram post and it was four images and it was like the four podcasts that I listened to most, most of. And uh, it was yours. It was gritty, uh, gritty Bowman at the time. Um, It was uh, Randy Newberg's and, I'm blanking on the fourth one that I had up there. Uh, but I remember you like, you liked it and you messaged me. You're like, <laughs> or you like commented on, it. I was like, Oh my gosh, Cody, Cody rich messaged me. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I was, I was a, such a fanboy. Oh, that's funny. Um, you know, I feel like we're all that way. You know, I was telling that story. I don't know if it was on the podcast or off about losing the podcast that I did with Remy Warren. Um, and you know, and I, like at the time, like, man, that Remy was like this, this thing. Right. Uh, and then you become friends with these people and you realize like, and I think this is very true for life and anything like anyone you look up. I don't know. The hunting industry to me is really, really small. It's even smaller than most, I would say like hobby industries. And even that's no fame, right? Like even, you know, Steven Ronella puts his pants on the same way you do and, and like all these things, right? And yeah, so but his like, pants cost a lot more than mine yeah, do. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, but like at the end of the day, like we put people on a pedestal uh, and I think there's a lot of people that are scared to reach out to people, to ask for advice, like whatever. And I don't know if it's like just having the confidence to do so, like will take you to the next level. Um, and it sounds like really cheap, but when you provide value to those people like they're willing or, or, you know, provide value and, or take their advice or whatever. Like so many people reach out and then not take your advice. And, you know, you're just like, okay, whatever. And don't find, go do your thing, you know, like, but at the end of the day, like it's not hard to reach out to people you look up to, to bit in business and in hunting or whatever it may be. Like, you know, there's a lot of people, let's take Ryan, for example, like, you know, Ryan's like this, super famous hunter. I love giving him shit for that. Um, but <laughs> yeah. like, you know, Ryan's just like a total down to earth dude. You know, it's just, just like you and I, like it is not much different, but there's so many people that are like, put him on this pedestal or like you couldn't talk to him or whatever. And I don't know. I just feel like that's not a good way to go through life because it won't help you get ahead. Well, and if you've ever spent any significant amount of time with Ryan, Half of the time he's sitting there on his phone, like answering Instagram, individually answering yeah. Instagram questions. So like, it, you know, again, if people are, re- if you have reached out to Ryan and heard back like to stealthy hunter Instagram yeah. and have heard back and like gotten advice, that's little, literally Ryan hanging out in his kitchen while he's drinking his maple syrup coffee, <laughs> um, yeah. answering those questions. Like, and I feel like that is one thing that's, it, not a hundred percent unique, but it is, is somewhat special about the hunting industry is I feel like a lot of these people, the, the, the celebrities, the big people with a few exceptions are uh, really I'll say it accessible. Goes, it's one, it's, it goes one of two ways there. There's people in this industry that get very big headed. And then there's people who are very down to earth. It doesn't, I don't see much middle ground. I see a lot. There's, there's a number of people who who think that this is some kind of fame, like it, the irony there, but like, this is not fame. This is not, <laughs> you know, 12 people in the country know who you are is not famous. Um, I don't know, it, man. It I did get ways. recognized at Hunt Expo one time. Well, that was, you know, I don't know if you realize, but I'm kind of a kind big of a deal. Big deal. <laughs> I have uh, many leather bound books. <laughs> My podcast studio smells of mahogany. Cheap, cheap whiskey. <laughs> not scotch. <laughs> 
Um, oh, man. It's... So what should you talk about? What's on your mind? You know, I, uh, I'm here in Montana now, and no. I am... I'm excited about this year. So I got I got my first elk. Yes, this last congrats, year. Yeah, that was you know it's it, it looks like an oversized axis deer. Um, That's all right, man. Uh, dude, I am so stoked on that so thing. Three fifty your bus now or what? <laughs> it's well, my rule is so it, my rule is it just has to be better than last year. Okay. So if it's a slightly bigger raghorn, yeah. it's a slightly bigger raghorn. Um, man, I really don't think like I think you should just kill elk for like five years. Just every elk, just go. When honestly, like that's that's my goal. and I have no problem putting down a cow this year too. I've I was just talking with this with somebody about this is I've gotten really used to having meat in the freezer now, and if it comes down to no, and I've never been the guy that's like oh yeah I'm just a meat hunter. I'm yeah. like no I want to shoot something big, but yeah. uh, I've I've gotten real used to having meat in the freezer and I really like well those for, cheddar jalapeno brats. For the record, for the record, I think you killed a bigger bull than I did this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm dead serious on that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it was. It was so freaking awesome, though, dude. Like, and and I'm. I'd be happy with that in year. It yeah. was with my bow. It was what I've been trying to do for the last. You know, this was my fourth elk season. It's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like some of that stuff clicked for you? So much. I also didn't realize how loud I am in the woods. And I was I was out with my buddy John. I mean, you know, you know, you're probably familiar John Stallone. Oh yeah. Um, I was out I was out with John. I knew when I drew that tag in Arizona. I was like, I called him up. I'm like, hey, buddy, <laughs> guess what we're gonna do? Yeah. And so and so of course he's giving me some extra shit. Like you know there's a and like I would like bump the tiniest rock and he would turn around and look at me like I just screamed in the middle of the yeah. <laughs> in the forest. But it was good for me. Because it did make me a lot more conscious of when I was like being really loud. Um, and a lot of that stuff, it really did click. And it, it, in a way that, uh, you know, you, I look at my product, you know, we were just talking about my first hunt. I look at my progression and that first year, I didn't hear anything, didn't see anything, tore both of my knees. <laughs> it was miserable. Did everything that went wrong possibly could go wrong short of like me catching fire <laughs> like did second year got into it finally saw some elk didn't really get in it, into them you know wasn't really even able to make a stock the year after that I got in the middle of elk I heard him bugling I got in on him I got to draw back on him and then this year finally got to harvest one yeah. and so it's starting to click it's it's progression and that's what I feel like was super important for me. Yeah. That's all, all I wanted. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, if that herd bull walked out, I would have, that's what I would have wanted. And I would have made that effort, but yeah. I, I can't walk away from this last season. What was and the not biggest be thing? Not to, not to hijack your podcast, but what, I love it when you hijack, <laughs> cause that means I have to think less. Uh, what's, what's the biggest like aha moment or like aha piece of advice that went from year one to year four, like success. Like we're talking about like putting all the pieces together. And cause I think about that sometimes. And the reason I ask these questions, let me just circle back here. The reason I ask these questions is because I've been doing this my entire life. There's things that I didn't consciously recognize mm-hmm. in the early years. Now I'm talking to so many people who are in that first phase. I don't really remember that first phase. Um, and so like, it's interesting to go back and be like, okay, here's someone who went through it when they were cognizant of it. Mm-hmm. Where when I was, you know, 
nine. When you're picking <laughs> it up from family or whatever, yeah. it, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. recognize that. It's just something they do that you unconsciously yeah. pick yeah. up. So like, so coming at it from the adult perspective, adult onset hunter or whatever you call it, uh, like, what are those things that like, like, oh man, this, this clicked like, like, oh, because quiet's one thing, but I don't feel like that's yeah. the thing. Well, and so one of the big things was it's just not committing so deep. Like, you know, I mean, I, we talked about this, like I fell into the romantic trap of elk hunting, listening to mm. way too much Randy Newberg, watching way too many YouTube videos. Thinking you could go deep. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I probably would have done it differently now, <laughs> but I don't regret that that happened, Yeah, you know? And cause I learned a lot and it taught me some lessons, some really hard lessons, but, and it, I also learned a lot about myself, uh, but uh, learning to stay mobile and that was the big thing I learned in the 2019 season was just getting out there and trying different spots. And, you know, uh, you don't have, I mean, the spot that I was getting into elk, I could see my car from, I could see my truck, like from 60% of the places on that yeah. hill. Like, I, you know, it was, I I'd do maybe six miles a day if I, if I was really canvassing that entire area, maybe. And it well, was a this small is piece of land, you know, this is something that people, you know, they romanticize hunting because they want to be the Ryan Lampers. You can't be Ryan, you know, say Ryan or I, there was a time where I would hunt 15 miles in, um, and we get, we, we graduated to that point. So it takes a certain level of like, you have to have so many interactions before you can really capitalize on these interactions. Yeah. And then when you go in the back country, you have very few interactions. We're looking for a particular experience. Right. And I think when you're starting out, like I try to tell people, I'm like, man, you'd have so many more experiences in a week period when you can bounce from different area to different area and, and you're just getting more at bats. Whereas when you go in the back country, like I may only get one or two. Now, granted, I, there's a reason I want those one or two. Mm -hmm. I'm in a different place where like testing myself, you know, like, and maybe that's why I don't do it as much. Like I, I've found that, okay, I can test myself. Like I've been through these things. Like the adventure of it is a piece of it. But when you're just starting out and you don't have a clue even how to get close to an animal or how to find them or there's so many other pieces that you have to, it's like building a foundation and everyone wants to go build the attic before they pour the foundation. And it's like, you have to have these like lots and lots of experiences. You have to screw up. You're not going to go in there and be a great elk hunter right out the gate. You have to kind of like screw this up to some degree. Mm -hmm. And I do think like taking these core e-courses and whatnot, that helps but you're still going to get out there. You could take the, every course that's out there right now on elk hunting and you could be an expert. Oh, and theory. trust me, I did. <laughs> and I think there's great pieces to it, but then there's aha moments and it's like anything you could read a book and then all of a sudden the, the thing that you read the book about happens to you. And it's like the light bulbs like, Oh, I get it now. And it's like, that doesn't happen. If you just read the book on how to do something, like you read a book on how to run a business. Yeah. In theory, you're an expert, right? Until you like get punched in the mouth when you try to start a business yeah. and you're like, this is not exactly what they said, you know, but then all of a sudden, like you, you realize these problems and you're like, Oh, okay. This is why they said that. Or the, you know, it just, it has a different perspective. Elkins the same way. Take all the courses, go out there, get punched in the mouth and realize that it's not as easy as just like, Oh, locate bugle, challenge bugle, bull comes in, shoot it. Like there's some nuance in that. Right. I have, until this year, 
there was not a single time where I even got a response to a location bugle in three years. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not the, the I, my calling is not exactly above par, but it's good enough to where you would think like something yeah. would respond in existence. And I've almost never had that experience. Like I've not ever had that, that like bull comes charging in experience. I've gotten some responses like uh, since then. And I did apparently where I, do some calling where I was not supposed to, which is considered animal harassment. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I do not admit to doing that uh, <laughs> hypothetically, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> that's the only time I've actually called something in. <laughs> was, I just happen to have like, I mean, you know how it is. You've got like elk calls, like sitting around your truck, like ones on the floor and you're like, I should not put that in my mouth, but <laughs> I got in trouble for that one time. I was working in Alaska um, and I spent quite a bit of time up there and we were in a, pretty bomber moose location in like September. Anybody knows me. I love calling stuff. So put me in the moose rut in one of the best moose areas in the state and give me 12 hours of boredom. I'm definitely going to go call moose. Right. And then like there was yeah. some bird watcher ladies that were found out or something. I was harassing the moose and they told my boss and uh. they tried to get me in trouble. And I was like, I was just like, I don't know. Not like I was doing anything. I don't know if they thought I was, gonna poach some moose or something like or uh, whatever yeah yeah so, I've, but yeah I've, that. I've never had that like that Not experience no like we had uh we had a lot of like it was also like according to fishing game the worst rut arizona has seen in 17 years um of course the year i draw an arizona tag randomly it's yeah. it's terrible but um you know we'd get we'd get them talking every now and again, but most of the time they were just shy. They'd yeah. like pick up their cows and they'd be gone and we were chasing them the whole time. And they would talk, uh, they would talk in the mornings and if we could get in on them, we could kind of follow them around, but they were, they sure. were not in a fighting mood. Yeah. And, uh, so, it, you know, what ended up happening is we kind of got them going and there were some guys down on the road and we weren't in a great spot and we weren't exactly sure where they were, but we knew if we started calling them, they were going to get up and move. Well, these guys happened to be down on the road and they started calling like perfect. And it was like, it was just like the perfect setup. We wish we could have found them to go thank them for, for <laughs> effectively like getting, uh, getting these elk moving towards us and, you know, got in the window. And it was one of those things where it was, I had to make a choice. It was like last day. I mean, I could have hunted some more, but it was my last day with John. Um, you know, it was, it was, in the afternoon so it was kind of getting towards like yeah the end of the day there wasn't going to be a, a ton more opportunities and we're sitting there and we got this perfect funnel it's like 20 yards you know to right where they're funneling through i got this like window they can't see me on either side no perfect and it, it was like it, literally the most perfect setup you could imagine and you know we hear this herd bull um john had got a glimpse of him for a second he was big and uh he was 360 plus and then we have all these cows funneling through, funneling through. And this herd bull, you hear him, you hear him, and he's screaming, and he's moving those cows, but he's not coming in closer. We don't have eyes on him. And I see the raghorn. We knew there was a raghorn there with him. And I see the raghorn coming through, and it's one of those decisions you have to make. You're like, I'm at full draw, and I'm like, do I take it? Do I risk it and worry, wait for the herd bull? Who knows if he's funneling more cows up the other side, and he's even going to come up that way. Yeah. And I like, always told myself, you know, 
It's hard to do. I mean, it's really hard to do when there's a 360 bull in the area. Like, it's so hard to shoot a bull. But, man, I think where you're at, like, oh yeah, don't romance. Don't don't put yourself on a pedestal for Instagram. Don't put yourself on a pedestal for like other hunters. Like, you know, just dude, you got to get kills in your belt. To there's so many things that happen in that last. You know, people say they pass bulls, which is funny. Um, (laughs) Like pass bull, or you saw one. It's so, that last little bit is so hard and it's gone so wrong, you know, more times than not, it'll go wrong in that last part. Mm -hmm. So even if you're like, man, I saw this raghorn, like, should I make the last move? And you're like, oh, I'm going to wait for this big bull. Like you don't learn the thing that happens in that last little bit. And sometimes it's really easy. You know, bull walks out and you shoot him. Sometimes it's, most times it's not, you know, like making that last move, getting that shot, calling, not calling, like. There's a lot of nuance that goes on in like what you call the red zone, right? Like you get within close to the end zone. It's not like you are guaranteed a touchdown by any stretch. Yeah. Like even under five yards, it's not guaranteed a touchdown. Like there's so many things that could go wrong. So I I always say like in those early stages, man, just get some kills under your belt. And that's and that's what it came down to is I was I was like I I do not want to risk yeah. not having this but experience. At the same time, you have that Arizona tag, and it's like. Uh, but I don't, I mean, I really don't, yeah. like, I really wouldn't put much thought into that. Well, and the thing is, I, I got after three years, like, it's not like I, yeah, it's not like I 10 points. burnt 10, 11 points on that or something. Yeah. I burn a whole three points. So, okay. Three years from now, um, I'll, I'll be back where I was and I've got plenty of hunting to do yeah. in the meantime. And the reality is, is there's like, there's a, you could do it in different States, man. And that's why I'm huge on like, even if you're new, you should be putting in for multiple states. If you can afford it, do it. Um, there's just better hunting in different places. You could sit there and grind it out on a crappy Colorado over the counter tag your entire life or 10 years, five years and be like, yeah, elk hunting's tough. I still haven't killed one yet. I do. I talk to people this all the time. People are like, man, I still haven't killed one. I've been doing it for like six years. You know, I'm hunting this in Washington. I'm like, stop hunting Washington. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're you're trying to become a pro NASCAR driver with like a moped. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why are you not? Why are you not putting in for Montana? Like drawing tags in Montana? No, there's no, there's and, no oh yeah, that's right. I forgot they uh, they yeah, got rid of them. Yeah, they, they sent all them the all COVID. to Colorado. They got COVID. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Crap. Forgot about that. Sorry. <laughs> Damn Californians. Damn Californians yeah, coming to Montana. <laughs> Idaho. Great yeah. hunting. Well, I can't even say that now because you can't get a tag there. Colorado. I was going to say literally in state in the country. In the past, so. like from when I started hunting, where you could right before season buy an Idaho tag. Like you could buy one mid-season. Uh, yeah, you buy your second one. You could buy your second one. And now, good luck, you know? Yeah. I, would, yeah. I, I think Idaho. I don't want to say it's dead, um, I am not going to get a tag there. I had one there last year, but and I, I'm going to I'm going to pimp uh, some episodes I just released right now. Is I just uh, just released with Hunt and Fool uh, a series of episodes. We released one I want to say a week or two weeks ago that is literally like the idiot's guide to the draw. Oh, nice. Like all the terms, difference between bonus points and preference points, how different states work. It's all everything you need to know if you've never even heard of the big game draw before, and then just released five species specific strategy episodes. So oh, wow. we did sheep and goat, we did moose, we did elk, pronghorn, and mule deer. Um, 
And so those are last six episodes yeah. I released, and uh, they are all out. Um, and and it's not just like for this year. This is like how you build your strategy. Like if you ever want to hunt sheep and goats, this is how you're going to do it. If you want to hunt moose, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you can hunt. You know, build your strategy for elk. This is how you can build your strategy yeah, for mule deer, pronghorn. You know your your one, three, and five year plans, whatever you want to call it. You know. So um, from I'm curious from like a new hunter perspective, is that do you think people get overwhelmed? Oh, it's super overwhelming. I I was fortunate in that I am such a researcher that I took my time with that. Yeah. And my first year, I almost didn't have the option. I mean, I started in January, so I, I was a little more focused. Like I put in for kind of the states that everyone tells you you have to put in for, like yeah. Arizona and, you know, throw your hat in for New Mexico and a few of those. Like I put in for a few of those, but like I didn't really focus on point building until the next year. Yeah. And it it was honestly probably good. You know, I miss out on one point in a few states, but it it focuses me in. And it's, it's super overwhelming um, if you don't take it piece by piece, step by step. And, you know, and it's another thing where I started, you know, I've started putting in Idaho uh, probably first year I hunted Idaho was in 2007. So I researched the crap and it was like, I was, since I was a kid, researched Oregon, like I would look at tags, the new tags, like how do I line up? Like, oh, I count these days. Like I, I was the nerdiest kid with a synopsis. Like the Oregon hunting synopsis came out and I would read that cover to cover. Like that's how <laughs> much of a nerd I was. And I'd be like, oh, and I, I, even in like middle school, I was, I had three blacktail buck tags and people were like, ha, ah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember one of my teachers was like, pulled me aside. He's like, how do you have, he's like, there's no way you can have it. And I was like, no, here's how you do it. And like, that's how nerd I was about this. So then I was like, I found out about Idaho and I was like, man, this is like, you just dive in this whole world. Right. And I had the Idaho hunt planner in like 2007 or eight. And I would like dive into that. And I was like researching this and, um, and that's kind of, and it, then it was like, okay. And then I started, we had property in Nevada. So I started doing Nevada. And then like slowly it was Montana in like 2010, you know? So like I dove in like one state at a time, mm -hmm. but once you have one or two states, it, it starts to the ball rolling. So I always tell people like, if you're getting started, cause it's easy. Like, I don't know if some of your listeners are going to be like very new. And if, if you're just getting started, it's like, Oh, here's how you put in for, you know, 32 species in 14 different states. And it's like, they overwhelm and don't do anything. So I yeah. always say like, start with one state, like one out of state hunt and research that then maybe the next year go like a little more hog wild, wherever you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Because once you figure out one other state, it's, it's similar. It's amazing how crappy these state websites are though. <laughs> I just tell my wife, I was doing Arizona application the other night. I was like, I'm fairly techie, a fairly techie dude. I cannot figure this website out right now. Gosh. Cause like I didn't have, like I went into the apply and I already bought my license, but the tab wasn't there. And I'm like, and then we're asking for this number. And I'm like, I'm I'm fairly techy when it comes to hunters. I can I can handle my own, and I can't figure this out. They're losing <laughs> so much money on this website. It's oh like people can't figure this out. Well, and there's so many of them where it's like Arizona, for example. You you've got like three different dashboards, yeah. And you have to log in like to to view your yeah. preference points. You can view them here, but then you can. You Why can see your too? license purchase here, <laughs> but you can't actually view your license information unless you log into this one. Yep. But then you need that to be able to go into this portal. <laughs> and it's like, and yeah. of course we're, you know, it's like 
oh crap, I forgot to put in. I <laughs> deadlines tonight. Yeah. I mean, you suddenly need to do this now. But yeah. I don't know. Wyoming's that way. I was like, I was trying to figure out how many points I had yes. in Wyoming. It was like, where is this like a completely different portal? And it was, it was yeah. like, yeah. who thought this crap up? Like, well, and it's, it's such a, I'm sure it's like a history of building, building on a yeah. crap foundation. And yeah. until you tear it down, like yeah. until you tear it down, it's right now it's like, it's like the double wide with the add-on porch yeah. and then the weird like <laughs> yep. little guest house section. And, and like you're walking through it and it's like there's like yep. weird level differences. And until you tear that down to the foundation and rebuild it yeah. or build a different house on the property, you're yeah. it's just going to be like that. And, you know, our, our as we all know, you know, the federal government, our state, our state agencies are really the models of efficiency, um, you know, and, and you efficiency joke, with sir. their funds and their money and, and with how they run things. And there's no bureaucracy, bureaucracy. I can't even say the word there at all. No, no problems whatsoever. Absolutely none whatsoever. And so I, you know, I'm really surprised that their websites are like that. Oh my uh, God. Could you imagine if a private company was able to come in and standardize all of these state, like even with the different rules, but find a way to standardize like the functionality of the websites or even create like a single portal yeah. where you could go in and like, you know, I just feel sorry for the, the developer that came in and you know, like, cause they all <laughs> did this last development. I can, I, I know exactly how this conversation goes. Right. Cause like the developer comes in and he's like, they're like, Hey, we need you to update this piece. And he's like, uh, so I'm going to have to do all of this. I'm like, no, just this piece. He's like, well, I could do that, but <laughs> like, you know, this conversation just went sideways out the gate. <laughs> and then now he's like out there and like, we're complaining and he's listening to this. Like, it's not how I want to do it, guys. It's not. <laughs> Stop blaming me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, it's, it's, a, it's someday. I, I do have faith that someday it will get a little bit better, but uh, we'll see. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Anyway, actually, I was going to say back to your original question. The one thing I, I actually was thinking about um, that really clicked for me this last year was slowing down. Mm. Um, and, and that ties in with the being quiet is seeing the speed. Like when I was hunting with John, seeing the speed that he's moving through stuff and getting to places and like there's times. Yeah. Like especially when you're on a bull, like you're hustling, you're hauling ass and watching how fast that can dude can move quietly is insane <laughs> to me. Um, I'm like, dear Lord, I'm like a bull in a China shop. <laughs> um, but you know, there's definitely times you need, but walk, watching how slow he would cover ground and when he'd stop and listen and this and that. And, and also how faint that dude, I like my hearing is not that good apparently, <laughs> but like when he could pick up those bulls and, and really, pull in direction and things like that. That's really what a lot of what I learned and what blew me away. Um, and I know this year I am going to slow down significantly, you know, focusing on my footsteps and, and just taking my time a lot more as I'm even as I'm getting to places. Cause that was a big thing when I was here in Montana. And I think I've talked about it before, you know, I, 
was on this piece of state land where it was, it was kind of had a, a chunk of private that would shoot up in the middle. So you couldn't just like walk straight across it. You had to like, you had this one little corner where like that touched the road where you could park everything else around it was private. And then you could go in through this corner and then you had to like walk up and over this little ridge and then across and then back up on the ridge to get to the spot where the elk would, where you would have this small like chunk of time in the morning before the elk would go onto the private and cross like way over. And, uh, problem was like i got so focused on that's where the elk are that i'm screwed up a lot of opportunities literally 200 yards from my truck yeah where if i had been and then towards the towards the end i started preparing myself for that and but then of course they weren't there those times um i I don't know it's really hard to articulate i've tried this a few times but like there's the difference between my fast and my slow is astronomical. It'd be crazy. Like if you were, if you didn't have any clue and you just like went hunting with me, you'd be like, why are we going so slow? And then also you're like, why are we in such a hurry? And like, it's really hard to articulate that gut feeling of there's nothing here. Move fit, move fast. Like, because to some degree you're right. Most, I, I probably move slower than most people and I'm not in a hurry to do things in certain points, but at other points I am, I'm completely comfortable like bombing through areas. And if I know I'm not going to bump anything, like, because I do feel like there's a ton of people that leave the truck and then like all of a sudden they're like sneaking to look for an elk. And it's like, no, there's nothing here. But like, you don't know that. Right. So the guy that's new, he's like, okay, do I leave my truck and go really slow? Do I leave my truck and go really fast? And it's like, that is so, so hard to articulate because there's times where I'll cover miles and miles and miles because I know there's nothing there. How do I know that? I don't know. I just know. Right. Or I'm locating it along the way. And so like, man, how do I articulate to that to you? Because you're now someone who has seen both sides of that fence. I don't think it's something you can articulate. I think it is something that's either shown and learned or born of experience. Uh. And it's when you're, when you're hunting, you, you have to start off somewhat cautious. Like when you're Uh. new to this versus, I think I talked about this with, um, I just think there's so many people and I, I see them all the time. They're like sneaking through the woods. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like I just come up on these guys and they're like, they're going so slow. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Bye. Like, and I don't want to pass these dudes because I'm, but there's I have yeah. a place to be, <laughs> you know? And I think I, I talked about this a lot with, uh, um, are you familiar with, uh, Orlando Chiles, uh, Chiles, Chiles. He pronounces it differently. Um, I, I think so. it's, he said, I think he said it's technically Chiles, but Chiles? he pronounces it Orlando Chiles. Cause um, cause that's how other people do it. <laughs> exactly. But he's, uh, he goes by buck, the black hunter on oh, really? Instagram, dude, this dude is wild. You have to talk to him. You have to listen to my episode with him. Okay. He, uh, he got into hunting by watching rap videos. He was watching like rap videos online. He's, he's like from like Stockton. Okay. And he's like sitting watching rap videos on YouTube. Then all of a sudden like Randy Newberg pops up on his <laughs> YouTube feed out of nowhere. I'm like, how, how is that even a thing? And so he like starts watching these Randy Newberg videos and he, and he like gets obsessed really? and like, and the, he is wild, dude. He is so like you watch his Instagram feed and he's like dancing and having a good time. And he's, he's like a black dude with like dreads and, and really? he's the guy like, he's the guy that gets, he tells it, he's like, yeah, I get looks in the field <laughs> that are people like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, um, cool guy like you have to listen to uh by episode i think brian's done an episode with him too huh. but uh 
it, it, he's such a cool guy, but he and I were talking about that. Where it is it's like, where do you start your hunt? Yeah. Do you start your hunt when you get to your glassing point? Do you start your hunt right when you leave the truck? And you know, there's, I think there's a happy medium of when you leave the truck for your hunt. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're 10 feet from the truck. Are you sneaking? Probably not. There needs to be some sort of reasonable amount, but you also need to be aware, be alert the whole time. And, and then, you know, everything changes. If you are sitting at your truck, you throw out a location bugle and you know, like right where, what you're chasing is, you still want to be aware, but you can probably move with a little bit more purpose. You know, you're not necessarily sneaking the entire time. And I think a lot of that is just built from experience, but, but we've talked about it where, Start your hunt when you leave the truck, but do you need to start sneaking? <laughs> yeah. No, but be cautious about the noise you're making and, and be alert. Keep your keep your wits up because who knows, especially if you're like me and you're happy with any bull and you see and something walks out in front of you because you because you are being quiet while you're walking through the woods, something happens to yeah, walk out in front of you. <laughs> to play devil's advocate, if I was looking for any bull any elk, what is it? We're going to call it. You have to, like elk per square mile are less than you think. Like dudes walking out in the woods and be like, start sneaking. Like you aren't going to cover enough miles to even find an elk. Yeah. It's going to take you a week to find one where, you know, if I'm like, okay, I got to find out elk. elk are pocket in, like they're herd animals. So they're in pockets. Right. And so I tend to just, if I go to a new area, I'm, I'm going fast and hard until I find sign. If I find sign, smell elk, see elk, whatever it may be. I'm also fairly confident that if I, depending on where it is, like if it's very tight with private and there's, I don't want to bump them. There are those times where I got to be cautious in that aspect. But by and large, you put me in a new unit. Say I draw a Colorado tech, put me in a new unit. I'm covering ground so fast. It's, it's ridiculous. You'd be like, what are we doing? You're going to bump elk. I'm like, I don't care. I'll find them then. Uh, yeah. I have to find elk to hunt elk. I can't just start still hunting out of the truck. Now, granted, when we go into new, like this year in New Mexico, let's say limited number of elk in an area. Uh, I don't want, like you don't want to bump those elk. So I got to be very cautious about that. And so like being reserved in those aspects is like, okay, the first number one plan is go as hard and fast as you can until you find some elk to actually hunt. And then we can slow it down. Maybe that's the way to articulate it. Well, I think here's the thing too. Like if it's your first day, and and it depends on how long you're if if you've got three days to hunt, well go as hard and fast as you can. Yeah, you're probably not uh <laughs> yeah. you're you're you got a, a real uphill battle against you there. But mm. like if you got a you know, a whole season ahead of you, like you know, say here in Montana, we got a, a long ass season. Yeah. So to some extent, you know, unless you're like dead set on getting one in archery season or whatever it is, or you got other stuff you need to hunt we got a long time. So you can afford to bump them a few times, especially because there's more square mileage. And if you're in a new unit, if you're in an area with a lot of elk or a, a significant portion of elk, if you're not, you're not hunting in an area with like one herd of elk. Yeah. Be very cautious. If you're in Idaho and you're like, I'm just looking for an elk. I will go as hard as fast. I used to do this. I used to show up in Idaho. I have three days of hunt. Man, I would cover every single road till I cut a track. I bugle all night long till I found a bugle. Like no sleep. Three days, I could probably do it. Like we're not sleeping though. Like yeah. that's not happening. Um, three days hard and cover as many miles as you can. Get on elk, then slow it down a touch. Um, but again, I don't know if I. It just depends on terrain. And I like I have a feeling too. Like if you're drawing a unit, if you're drawing maybe like a unit that has. Uh, like that single herd of elk and maybe it's a, a, especially maybe if it's like a really 
nice unit or something like that. Uh, you've probably also done some pre, I have a feeling a lot of people have done some preseason scouting at that point. They either have cameras or they've done a lot of glassing. Yeah. Likelihood is you also have a better idea of where those elk are going to be. Not always. There's so many exceptions to literally everything we're saying right now, but I feel like you draw those prime units and especially like if it's a unit, you know, there's one herd of elk likelihood is you've put in the work to, to find where that herd is versus a lot of what I think we're talking about is like, you're bombing into a new unit. That's like an over the counter tag. That's probably got scattered elk a lot of different places, whatever, you know, you're, you're not, not looking for the elk, you're looking yeah, for an elk. Exactly. And for most of the people that are listening to this podcast, that's like me, that's where they're at. And yeah. so, yeah, you can afford to, especially like right at the beginning, you can afford to bump some elk because you'll find more mm. or they'll be back in the area the next day. Yeah. And you, now you know where they're at, you know where to slow down. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened on my hunt in 2019. Like I said, I found where they were, I will say that again, though, the one mistake I made is I didn't realize they were coming in some mornings to that area that I was walking through. And so me, I'm just like, you know, tromping through because I'm still half asleep as I'm trying to get out there, get ahead of this herd. And I I blew some opportunities that I could have had three, two, three hundred yards from the truck and had a real nice (laughs) pack out of some some decent sized satellite bolts. But yeah, I digress. (laughs) It also changes. You're talking about um, slowing it down or or different types of areas. So I took one of the Patreons hunting last year. We went to New Mexico and uh, I explicitly asked him like, hey, what kind of hunt? You know, I I don't care. It's it's up to you. Like, what kind of hunt do you want to do? What what do you want? He's like, man, I want to hunt big bulls. He had killed an elk. Um, had a little bit of experience. So he's like, I want to learn how to hunt big bulls. I'm like, okay, it's not gonna be fun, but we can do that. <laughs> uh, and it's so different because, you know, you want to hunt big bulls. Like this is the difference. You know, if I go to the same exact unit and it's just me first, let's say Sam's like, Hey, I drew his tag. Come with me. So if these are two, I approach this hunt so differently. Right. So we show up a couple days early and I'm glass, glass, glass trying to find, I, I just trying to figure it out. Like I, at East scouted the crap out of this. We get down there. I'm like, okay, I like what I saw here. Don't like what I saw here. Let's, you know, and I was pretty spot on in East scouting. Like, okay, this is money. Went up, glassed up, shooter bull. Like we found a giant that rarely happens. Like usually we're spending three or four days to find a shooter bull. Right. So we find a, a shooter bull and it's like, okay, like now it's, now let's play it safe game. So this is so much different. And I would never do it. If you, you asked me to go take you on an elk hunt in New Mexico and we went the same unit, I would have chose a different area. I would have hunted it completely different. Everything about this hunt is different. And this is why sometimes when people like look at what I'm doing or what Ryan's doing, it's like, this is not what you should be doing. What I am doing is, is not fun or getting me at bats. I sat on a bull for five days straight and I could only hunt them for like a couple hours a day because I didn't, I couldn't bump them. Like bumping was an out option. Uh, we were six miles in no water, uh, like 90 degree heat. Like I can't hunt this bull in the morning cause he's, he's shutting up and he's in a good spot where the winds just, yeah. he knows where he's at. Like he's smart. That is not a great hunt for you to learn how to get elk, <laughs> how to have a lot of experiences. That hunt is going to, I'm hunting one herd of elk. There is 10 elk with one shooter in it. That is the only elk in the area. That is it. And that hunt is like, I can only hunt them in the evening because the wind's wrong in the morning. That's so different than I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go find the most amount of elk in this unit. And then let's go bugle or try to get close because a satellite's going to be totally fine. And there's going to be a lot of bulls working. Like 
this is a big bull tucked up on a mountainside with 10 elk and he's got the wind perfect. Like he's done this before. That's a different hunt than, Hey, let's go call bulls. Let's try to get in the most amount of elk because at the end of the day, like you just need numbers. You need to like get in the most amount of elk because that's going to, what's going to give you an opportunity. And that's how those are like very different, same unit, you know, just two different approaches. Right. And I, I really think that most people need to like cover as much ground, have as many bats as they can, like screw this up, find satellites, you know, you could kill a 350 satellite. Like I've, there's times where there's plenty of herd bulls, but there's could be a giant bull come in and cruise by or, you know, like you just don't know. Well, shoot this spot. I was in here in Montana last year. I know. Yeah. I mean, uh, cause <laughs> I, I, I just they got forget the, the state names. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, they, they didn't have it last year, but they oh, have it now. Okay. So they all, all okay. of these bulls I'm talking about have moved to Idaho and Colorado. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, this spot I was in, um, I mean, there were some good sized satellites. Like I was actually struggling. Like when you'd see them, you'd, you'd see them and you'd know, but like I would, at times I was struggling to find the herd bull. Cause you'd see one, you'd be like, is that, then you'd be like, no, that guy's bigger. And you there was like yeah. a lot of real nice bulls out there. Well, you have to understand, um, man, people, people get confused about this herd bull term. Like herd bull is a relative option. Is, is herd bull the biggest bull in in the area? Absolutely not not. at all. Absolutely not. I looked at dozens of herd bulls between, well, it's season open this year. I I got back from New Mexico and I started hunting at 11. So between the 11th and the end of September, I looked at dozens and dozens and dozens of herd bulls that I know for a fact were not the biggest bull in the area. Big bulls hadn't showed up yet. So what's a herd bull? Herd bull is just a bull that's with, with cows. He could be a satellite tomorrow. I promise you that. You know, there could be a 320 herd bull and a 350 that is there. He's, is he a satellite? Technically, I've watched... 350 satellite bulls follow a herd or just kind of be off a couple hundred yards. So people get this like wrapped in the head, like herd bulls, the biggest bull. It is not. I promise you most herb. And there are herd bulls that will, the biggest bull in the area will have cows and he'll have them all season. That's more rare. I promise you that's more rare than the giant that like comes in at night, hangs with cows, leaves and a 320 like guards those bulls all day. Like there's so many dynamics to it. There's some, it's just weird, you know? And so like, just think like, Oh, I'm going to kill a herd bull. Like you get close to a herd of elk. There are bulls around. There are bulls you're willing to shoot. That's all you need to know is like follow the herd because that's what everyone else is doing. The biggest bulls, sometimes they'll be right there. They're close, but he's not going to be with them in the daylight or there's no hot cow and he doesn't care. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many variables and people get wrapped up in this, like, after the herd bull, I have more times than not seen the herd bull, not be the biggest bull. And so, yeah, keep that in mind. Oh, for sure. And this, but this was, this was a very, this was kind of like the textbook situation yeah. Yeah, like yeah. they were in, like it was very much like the big bowl and they were, they were really herded up early in the season. Um, yeah. and I mean, it, this was a huge herd. There was, uh, every so often like a small section would break off and that's pr- a lot of probably what we're talking about where one yeah. of the you know, quote unquote satellite bowls would take a chunk away or whatever it would happen. But this was definitely like a, all the cows were, were bunched up uh, and there was the big bull yeah. dead center, you know, dead center of it with the, the prime view, the cows like all facing out oh, from yeah. him. And then there were the satellites fighting around the edges and, yeah. and peeling stuff off. Yeah, it's and, very textbook. Like it's how it was supposed to work. Yeah. And it was, it was really cool. 
Like it was so cool to finally see that. And I mean, when I finally got to close enough to actually draw, which I misranged and I probably wouldn't have if I'd ranged correctly, <laughs> I got like a piece of grass that was like 20 yards in front of them yeah. that I just, you know, it, when it's out of focus in the, uh, in the spotter or Your in the, this, exactly. <laughs> Um, and you're in front of like a, a teeny, like one single tree, the only cover yeah. for, and you're like, crap, I got about <laughs> this. Um, but, uh, like I, the, that was the experience. Like I, the, all the satellites, they were fighting and screaming at each other. And, and the ones I drew on, it was actually a pair that was like frozen and like all locked up. Oh, that's cool. And it was, it was really cool. And they were, they were like, 85 yards when i thought they were 65 yeah. um <laughs> I, I i let that arrow loose and it went and like hit the dirt like 10 yards in front of them five ten yards in front of them and they both like kind of you know they were back and forth and you can't see me gesturing right now um <laughs> but they were locked up and they're like shaking back and forth and you seem kind of both like stop and they, they kind of, they're still locked up and they kind of glance to the side and look at the arrow and it's like flashing with my nocturnal <laughs> And then they're like, whatever. And they go back to fighting. And I'm like, son of a, yeah. oh, come on. What was that? And then That's I rearranged funny. them. And I like, as they were moving away, I'm like, oh, that could explain why. But yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, it's, it's cool seeing that experience. And I finally, that was what I was looking for for a couple of years was finally oh, getting yeah. into them. And, you know, I mean, they were, they were talking that year all night. They wouldn't talk at all during the day, but the second like shooting light was done, I mean, they were screaming and like, you could pick out all the different bulls. Like they, I mean, and, and you know how it is in some locations, like there's some bulls that they've yeah. got that really weird bugle. Just growl. And yeah. This guy, there's one guy I wanted to see him so bad and I couldn't ever, I couldn't ever, because they wouldn't talk during the day. I couldn't ever figure out which one it was, mm -hmm. but he, he was, you could tell from like, I mean, he was the most dominant bugler for sure, yeah. but he had this weird, like, it almost sounded like scales on a piano where he would go like up and down the yeah. way he would bugle. And it was so cool. Um, and, uh, I just, I wanted to figure out which one that was so bad. Just get eyes on him. And, I know, and so I'm that, always but. like, I just want to see, I just want to see, wow. On that Patreon hunt or the New Mexico one we did last year, uh, you know, we hunted big bulls and, and after five or six days, it was, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? He's like, oh, let's go chase bulls. Like, you know, we we tried on this bull, but you know, I don't want to waste my entire hunt on one bull. Let's go look for it. So we go out and we this other area want to go check out. Go in there and man, bulls screaming everywhere. We just kept turning up bull after bull after bull and and like right at dark, we found one good bull uh, bugle. We never saw him. Yeah, we did see a pretty good like three fifty bull, um, but this other bull screams and and so it's kind of getting dark and like we're listening and listening and listening I'm like okay so we basically just bevied wherever we were sleeping bag and a pad you know like lay it down it was pretty nice out so we lay down and these bulls like basically came towards us a little bit they're only a few hundred yards and all night just bugle 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 and i'd wake up every once in a while and kind of you know see what was going on and make sure they're still there and all night there's three at least three maybe four bulls you know just screaming all night and i was like sweet get up I don't know, half hour, hour before daylight. And it was like quiet. I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> and I was like, get, get your stuff. And I was like, you know, thinking they went this way. So we just like start mobbing that way, listening, listening, pretty soon we could, we could hear them. You know, they started working away. I was like, crap. So like just in the dark, we're just following, just following like, and then man, I move, they're cruising. Right. And like, as it's getting daylight, we can see them going up this next ridge. And I was like, Frank, man, they're like just checking out on us. 
and so there was a big canyon that they had crossed. I was like, well, let's work our way around um, and go that way. So we work our way around and you get up there and thinking like, okay, might lose them, might not, who knows. Hear him bugle, hear him bugle. Finally, just start catching up with him again. I was like, okay. So we like slip in and this bull all night, bugles all night going crazy. And then with his cows all the way up the mountain. And then we circle around and I like, we come out. I never said a word because he was just bugling so much and we pop out and I can see cows. It's like money. And they were like feeding and I can hear him just over the hill. You know, he's behind him quite a ways. And, uh, so he's like, slip up, slip up. And we're like, we're pushing it pretty hard. This is like one of the last days mm-hmm. we have. And I was like in the view of cows, like I'm slipping through trees and like, just got to get there. Just got to get there. I get set up. 50 yards from where these cows just crossed and this bull screaming, screaming, screaming. And I see him and we're like, range him. He's 120, you know? And he's like looking back down the hill, looking back down the hill. He's still screaming. And like, he goes behind a tree and I was like, let's, let's go towards that tree. Let's keep that tree between me and him. And it's pretty open right here. Like it's like sparse juniper. Like keep that tree and we'll move right at him. We start moving at him, moving at him. And I can't hear him. I can't hear him. And I was like, then he bugles again. And again, he turned, man, like it was like, I was 50 yards from where he should have went. And I started going, and he was, we were 120 yards from him. And I started going down towards him and we didn't bump or anything. Winds perfectly in our face. He just starts bugling away. Like he was with those cows all Uh. freaking night. Bugles two miles at least up the mountain with them. And then just turns and bugles and goes that way. And he just kept bugling, kept bugling. I was like, God, are you kidding me? (laughs) Right there. Oh man. It's. I mean, they're wild animals, you know, you never, you can, you can make assumptions based on prior information and, you know, generally they, as a general rule, they act somewhat consistent. You may not know sometimes act like what their motivations are, but they're wild animal. You can't ever know what suddenly gonna, you know, you may not have smelled that one wolf that you will never see and never have any thought that it existed in your mind and that elk could have been like screw this i'm out or well, you, you know, know who knows the realistic thing that probably happened is you know say there's three bulls in there so if one bull came in and they're bugling all night they're usually locating and like when they bugle all night like that and it's going crazy and you can tell it's a rut big bulls are turning their ear up and they'll hear it mm-hmm. and a lot of times a big bull will come out and loop out you know the five or six cows that had that that hot cow in it. Yeah. And so you can have a younger bull, you know, herd bull, great example. Herd bulls like going up, you know, with this is a younger bull that had them. He started this whole thing. And now he's got all the cows that don't have one in heat. And then they go back up to bed wherever they were. And he, you know, he's all proud of himself, goes up there and he's like, wait a minute, there's no, <laughs> you know, my hot cow's not here with me. Why am I here again? You know, like who knows? Yeah. I, yeah. Who knows what happens, but that, that happens a lot. It just kind of, that's dude that's september it's chaos and carnage and that's why it's so fun yeah oh, it's, it's awesome i'm excited i'm interested to see what it's going to be like this year it's such a weird winter right yeah, now I, know. I mean it's what end of end of january and it snowed like four times it's barely even dusted the driveway yeah mm. um yeah i was talking about that with someone else um it's hard to say man it could it could show we could have the worst February of history. You know, granted, I do think we're kind of in a downtrend of uh, hard winters. 
it's a good thing to think about for Arizona. Like we're kind of in a few years of dry spells and then, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's like, Oh, global warming, all this. It's like, well, it could just ebb and flow like it's done for the last 100 years. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, most of the elk, it's a good winter because you're not gonna have kill off. Um, we could get the weather in June is far more important than it is in December. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't, I don't think we hold our water like, you know, people assume. Um, and there's our states. But, like, technically wildfires could be less because you have less vegetation to burn. Um, you know, there's a lot of variables. I, I think it's yeah. very unknown is what I'm getting at. You could sit and probably postulate all day yeah. long and until until we actually see what happens, no one's going to know. And From the hunting perspective, I'm not worried about it at all. Yeah. Not at all. Well, and, that, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, and not you know, if as long as, you know, coming through – February and, and March, something gnarly storm doesn't blow in yeah. the, the, you know, it's going to be nice in about three years with, <laughs> with everything that's yeah. grown up. And yeah, that affects the year more now, but, um, at the same time, like, you know, you've had, we've had years where it's really, really light winters and heavy springs, like lots of rain. That's where you get like tremendous antler growth. Yeah. At least they got all Idaho. that water and <laughs> yeah, here, here in Idaho. <laughs> I mean that's that's one of the that's one of the interesting things I remember learning and getting super fascinated with is a lot of the times you can see and you know not a hundred percent of the time but you can see a lot of the the season reflected in how the antlers grow yeah. and like where you see okay they've got spindly tops but wide bases or this or that and a lot of the time I mean and again you know not a hundred percent of the time but it can be attributed to a lot of how um, how the season was, you know, the vegetation, the the water, the you know, all of that stuff. You know, when they when they got their nutrients, and you could see that. In well, how the I mean, this grow. gets really in depth. Like the guys are looking for antler size, or are looking like, okay, how are they going to finish out, uh, whatnot. For new guys, it has to do with water, you know, and for the most part, hunting. Depends on the area, you know, Arizona, Eastern Montana, like the drier states, some of Colorado depends on water. If you're hunting Idaho, the mountainous country of Colorado, most of Wyoming, I say like the West half of Wyoming, what dude, water is like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's more than you think. And elk will water in the smallest little seep. Like it, you can't base it on that. Arizona has some to do with, um, you know, some of the eastern drier state or eastern part of some states, I should say, um, that can change. Um, and hunting water can be important. That was so. That was one of the weird things I learned too is just the kind of water they will actually water at. Because I think you, when you're first starting, you're learning. You know, you're taking your elk 101 course or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're learning. Okay, I got to look for water, and you're 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 e scouting, and so you're looking for these like very clear big bodies of water or something. Yeah, go look this lake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. Um, which is exactly what I did. <laughs> but then you, especially when you get in there, you're like, Oh, this whole draw is like a lot. I mean, a significant amount of water <laughs> that yeah. anything could, you know, like, and you kind of realize and you learn to look then, you know, for those green spots that kind of yeah. funnel in and things like that. And, um, it depends like New Mexico and parts of Arizona. It's all about tanks, man. Tanks, yeah. tanks, tanks, like finding hidden tanks or like, and it's crazy. Like there's tanks that, you know, not on Google earth or not on anything. Um, so that's where like, man, it matters a lot. 
Idaho, most of Oregon, like you'd be amazed at how much water, like the littlest creek, you know, like mm-hmm. you can't even see it. You never see it on Google Earth. Like there are places where you can look on Google Earth and be like, oh, this like green strip obviously means there's water. This, you know, the cordless burn is green. Why is that? You know, there's things you can figure out, but by and large, like what I grew up trying to figure out and all that water didn't matter. Not yeah. a lick. Well, and it's, I mean, and like you said, in different sections of the state, it's going to vary. Yeah. Um, like even here in Montana that, uh, or sorry, that spot in Idaho that, <laughs> that we discussed back in 2019 <laughs> that I hunted for a while. Um, the, it, that was all tanks. Yeah. Like there was not a ton of, I mean, there's a few spots, but most of those spots ended up having tanks built yeah. on them because yeah. they were so, so minimal. Well, it's but, cattle country. So, yeah. like, when you get in cattle country, most of the springs are, you know, they don't want the cattle to stomp the spring out. So, they'll protect it or build a tank or, you know, block it off so they can't. Because cows can basically stomp a, a spring out. Yeah. So, they'll just crush it until it doesn't produce water anymore um, or it goes underground. So, like, those, you know, cattle country, knowing whether you're in cattle country or not, that that matters. Yeah. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So I want to give you a quick second uh, to pimp the podcast, uh, pimp your Patreon, because I, I will say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a little bit of claim to giving you the suggestion for starting that Patreon. This is true. This is true. I forgot about that. I remember, I remember reaching out. We, we'd been talking and it was before I, I came for that visit. Uh, we'd been talking about it before that. And you finally told me when I came and we all, we all went out for sushi. Mm-hmm. You were like, I finally did it. Yeah. Um, and I remember reaching out. I'm like, dude, you release so much effing content. <laughs> why are you not just taking a chunk of them and, and making them Patreon only? Like yeah. it's, you're leaving well, money. You know, people got mad about that, but at the end of the day, so I do a podcast. It's once a week for those who don't know. And we used to do another show. And actually in the early days we had Wapti Wednesday and Muley Monday. We were doing three shows a week from June to October. And it was like, it was, it was really good. It got huge growth for us. But at the end of the day, it was so much work. Um, and I was like, done with it. I was like, okay, we have, I started another business and time was an issue. And I was like, let's just get rid of it. And, uh, you had kind of said Patreon, a couple of people mentioned Patreon. I was like, okay, let's throw these Wapti Wednesday, Muley Monday episodes on Patreon. 
Um, let's structure them throughout the year. So it's not so much work on us. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't like, we'll just get rid of it. Like that was the original plan anyway. Um, and it, it worked really well. You know, there's tons of people that are bad about it, but like at the end of the day, it was like, okay, this is the only thing that's scalable for that I would do. So it was yeah. like, it was either this or it goes away. Like, I don't really care <laughs> if you guys wanted it. Um, but no, it's fun. And so we do have our Patreon side and I look at Patreon, like it's funny. We talk about courses and there's tons of great information out there. I look at Patreon almost as like continuing education because weekly we put out an episode based on elk or mule deer. Um, and I dive into tips and tactics and things like that. And so it's, uh, yeah, I can consider it continuing education based on your, your, your coursework. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, we do that in the podcast. So if people want to check that out. Yeah, definitely. Where can they, where can they find all that? Uh, on the internet, it's where we put the podcasts, um, anywhere podcasts are produced, I guess, or distributed, I should say. Um, but yeah, Patreon's kind of the exclusive Wapiti Wednesday show, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of elk specific. <laughs> I, I should say mule deer too, because we do a mule deer show as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been good. It's do been you do fun. the, do you do the tag Tuesdays on there or those on the main feed? I, or do you still do those? I don't still do them. Um, oh, we did. Uh, so I Slacker. should say, I know. well, dude, you know how it is. Um, <laughs> we actually, so this, the first three months, um, Generally speaking, our, our Wapiti Wednesday is guests, um, and we do you know stories, tactics, those things like very high level, like like three hundred one stuff. The first three, first quarter of twenty twenty one, last year we did these biology series, and Jaden was interviewing different biologists from different states and doing all that. Those are really popular, so we're going to continue that, and I'm going to do basically elk tag stuff, draw stuff, whatnot for deer and elk. And Jaden's going to be doing biology series. So for the next three months, we have like hardcore biology <laughs> series and high hardcore tag application stuff for different states. Um, we just did two with Robert Hanneman talking about like our favorite elk states, what we like, what we don't like, all these things. So yeah, you uh, you recorded one with him. I think an hour before you recorded one oh, of right? our species That's episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, we were. It was funny. We were just talking about that. Who did I? Uh, Somebody else, um, oh, was it, uh, was it Laura? Did you record one with Laura Zero recently? Yeah, yeah. She, uh, uh, I got a call from her. She's like, hey, I've got to go record a podcast with, uh, with this guy in, in Bozeman, <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to stop by. Let's, let's hang out. So, and, and we were talking, and, and she's like, yeah, it was like just up the road. I'm like, oh, are you going to record with Cody? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, She's good. She's good people too. That was, that was a fun podcast to record. Nice. Yeah. That's funny. Um, she's well, actually getting, got me all into like knife forging now. I'm, oh, I'm literally probably going to go home and I should have some packages waiting for me nice. uh, so I can this weekend start, start forging knives because I totally need another hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems legit. Absolutely. Something to take your time up. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Uh, so final thought, somebody comes up to you, um, I've asked you this question before, but somebody comes up to you, maybe they've heard the podcast once or twice or just, you know, see you wearing some first light gear or whatever it happens to be. And they're like, hey, man, you know, I know you hunt. Like, I've always wanted to get into this, but like I have, I have zero background in it. I, I don't know, man. I don't even know where to start. It's a little intimidating. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Like what, uh, what advice would you give that person? Uh, I'm curious what my answer was before, but I will say start small. Find someone you – like someone who speaks your language and like whether it's Ryan, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's Randy and like start just going down that rabbit hole, watching content, whatever, get yourself a tag, uh, go, go on their first hunt, 
don't try to go out and go 20 miles in the backcountry. Don't go on a DIY solo archery elk hunt. <laughs> or do, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but I would say start small. Um, man, I would, I always push people to Mark Livesay's e-scouting course. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like that's step one. And then, you know, like the elk collective. I do think some of these online resources are amazing, whether it's like Elk 101 or the Elk Collective uh, or John, or uh, Mark's e-scouting course, like take some of those courses, man. Which I think it's, I think it's code TWI. It's either code TWI or TWI 20 or something yeah. for, I think you can get a, you know, like 20 bucks off Livesay's course. And uh, I did a, did an episode. I think we've all got an episode of Livesay right. or two under our belts yeah. and it's, that's one of my more popular episodes because that dude has some He's a wealth of knowledge for sure. Wealth of knowledge. Um, I, you know, and maybe that's overwhelming. I don't know. Like, is that too much for like the new guy? You know, I don't think so. Cause he lays it out so clean. And if you are, because, cause he doesn't lay it out. It's not like, it's not like you're, you're sitting listening to Rand. You're like, I need to go 20 miles in. He's like, no, he's like, decide how, like, yeah. decide how far you're willing to hike. Yeah. Take a compass and make a circle, like, yeah, and yeah, make yeah. a bunch of circles around the trail, you know, and he goes through that and it scales. I think that's why it's beneficial for anyone because it scales. Like if, if you can hike 14 miles in a day, good on you. You can plan for that. Yeah. If all, if all you want to hike is, is three to four miles, then make you know adjust yeah. that circle and it, it yeah. scales i think it's a lot of information but if you are if you're like a, a researcher kind of person it's super valuable and yeah that's yeah. that's huge you know anything i think you know go down the rabbit hole like listen to some podcasts um try to find one the thing is you can be overwhelmed with information so that's why i always say try to find like one thing that you start out with if you were to like my podcast, like our Wapti Wednesdays are so elaborate that sometimes I think it's overwhelming to people. Yeah. And like I'll talk to multiple guests and have multiple ideas, multiple approaches, multiple tools for your toolbox. I almost say don't start with my podcast because like it can be like, well, you said to do this, you said to do this. Like my, like they're like Elk 101 is good at like, here's how to step it out. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it gets so much bigger than that. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And then like, you know, I feel like the elk collective has more information on multiple ways, but I don't want to confuse people. That's why I say going to my podcast may confuse you because it's like very 301 sometimes. Um, and I don't want people to just like, Whoa, crap. I don't know what to do now. Well, and that's one of the things like when I started listening, I did not understand half of the crap that was going down. Like, Oh my gosh, I made the mistake of starting to listen to Jay Scott's podcast when I first started. And I'm like, I don't what get what's going about? on. Like, cause he gets technical, like yeah. real technical sometimes. Yeah. He'll get so deep into a, uh, a unit that has three tags and you're like, I don't know why this is applicable to anyone, but like yeah. the three people that own that tag. <laughs> but the one thing I did learn from listening to yours, listening to Brian, like all this stuff was terms to look up mm. things to research. And then I just, I was just absorbing it. It was, yeah. it was literally, you know, I mean the term drinking from the fire hose, like yeah. you just kind of take what you can, what you can absorb yeah. And and don't stress about having to pick up every single nuance. Would like, you say going on a guided hunt for your first hunt is beneficial? Oh, absolutely. I People I would have asked super that question. recommend I don't really know that. the answer. I mean, if you can afford it, because it's not cheap. Yeah. Like, let's face it. I mean, you can find inexpensive yeah. methods, and and you know, especially like you know, not pimping out hunting fool or anything, but like, I just think the service is valuable. They can help you with stuff like that. Yeah. They can help you build a plan. They simplify things. And they can help you find a, an inexpensive guided hunt for whatever your goal is. Um, there's another thing. I just did a podcast, and 
um, the FTW ranch out in Texas, they do this, uh, it's like a beginning hunters program. And I'm actually going to go out, uh, at towards the end of February and do it. They invited me out. They take you and I've wanted to do something like this, uh, like organize it. And I didn't even know they were doing it literally from like, I've never touched a gun before to I'm cooking the, I'm cooking a meal from the wild game that I, yeah. that I just shot. And they take you out. They, it's like a four day course. They train you on shooting. They train you on gun safety, all of this stuff. Then they, they talk to you about hunting and then they take you out on the ranch and you have to buy a tag, but you can shoot like a, uh, they've got a few different animals and they teach you how to glass and yeah. you can shoot a doe or a, you well, know, we should probably pimp. Oh, you, you saying this and it like reminds yeah. me of the hunting summit. And then hunting summit. I was going to, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's almost like this connects with hunting summit because hunting summit can be a little, a little more advanced. Like I feel like anyone can benefit from it, but, um, if you're brand new, there's a, it's, it's, it's fire overwhelming for sure. But, um, but yeah, then you go out and they bring someone out, they teach you how to process mm-hmm. it, package it up. And then there's a big wild game meal at the end of every day. And, and I think the one thing I'll say is that like people underestimate how short hunting season is and it's like the test like you have all year to prep for this test and don't think of it as like i'm going to get into hunting in the first year i'm just going to go and see what it's like that's an approach <laughs> um, but like there's so much you need to know before that test because this test is really expensive and there's so many limited experiences well i mean and take opportunities to i've had a ton of people say this go on you know you don't have to hunt to learn yeah go on a hunt with someone. I mean, shoot, somebody tells me like they're going to help me wear a pack and help me pack stuff out. As long as they know how to shut up. Like yeah. another good one. Um, you could go like, uh, I always say this in the books out. Um, my buddy, Tony Lombardi does pig hunts in California that mm-hmm. are like one day. And like, that's a really, really cheap one day, like experience with a guide. And he's such a good dude. And like, like he probably doesn't want me to say this, but like he, he'll teach you so much. Um, and I know that's not his job, but at the end of the day, like you're going with a dude that's like knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's solid. It's a one day hunt. It's like I get a fifty bucks. Like I get a so lot cheap. of people that ask me about like, Hey, do you know this one? And I mean, I, I know a few people that do stuff like that. Most of them are like my friends that are just like, yeah. have offered to take me out. They don't really do that. I know people ask me all the time. Um, I don't know very many guys like Tony's well, the only guy I know, especially for pig hunts in California. A lot of people ask me about that stuff and I'm like, I've, I've actually never hunted pig in California. You should go on a hunt with Tony. I need to, um, I need to do that. Now yeah. it's now it's all expensive for me. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm right now. I'm a man without a hunting home. I have to I have to wait <laughs> until like April until I get my resident license here. Mm. And I'm but I've I'm officially an out of out no of longer there. a Californian. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to forget that that part of my life. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't want to go back and hunt California. Oh man, I don't know. I just got some good hunting, but. Awesome, man. Well, uh, make sure y'all check out the Rich Outdoors podcast. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Check out Backcountry Fuel Box, too. Oh, yeah, that thing. I've got a lot of... <laughs> I'm, I, dude, I'm pimping out your stuff. You're supposed to be doing this. Um, I, I, I love it. I'm not good it. at promoting I, myself. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about me. <laughs> I, I will admit I do not subscribe anymore because I've kind of figured out what I like. Yeah. But I, I mean, I subscribe to that box for several, uh, quite a few months. And um, most of... Not all, but a good, I'd say probably 50% of the like snacks and stuff I take into the backcountry I learned about through the backcountry fuel box subscription, found kind of picked stuff out, found what I liked and, 
and went from there. Heck yeah, man. So Backcountry Fuel Box, yeah. uh, Rich Outdoors Podcast, link to a link to all of that nonsense on the, the show notes page. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. Of course, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time, and we're using your like fancy equipment here. <laughs> was fancy. Everyone's probably like, oh my gosh, the podcast sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Awesome, man. All righty. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 